0: Well, welcome into the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take 48 minutes to dive into real life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day, excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. And you know, this is a place where normal, indecision, ambiguity come to die. Welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show. Here, our business partner today is FreshBooks. We'll be telling you a little bit more about them here in a minute. Here's some of the questions, well, and some of the tips that we've got for today. Got a, a new font that's designed specifically for dyslexia. Now, this is really cool. I'm going to be telling you about that. Well, then we got the question that I mentioned in the opening. I have a master's degree and live in a homeless shelter. Got somebody who's got some questions regarding that. Dan, how can we teach our 12-year-old son entrepreneurship skills? Love those questions. Somebody says, for 20 years, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and for 20 years, nothing. And then this one, if we got time to get to it, I've contacted several companies inquiring about salary, but cannot get anyone to take or return my calls. Well, we'll figure out why that's happening real easily. Here's our Cliff Feitner poem for today. Cliff, an active member of 48 Days Eagles community, he wrote, For knowledge need no further look between covers of a good book, maybe for a small fee, or the library it's free for information that flows like a brook. Well, we're going to be talking a little bit more about education today, and thus the quotation that I've got for today. This comes from Jane Piaget, who said the goal of education is not to increase the amount of knowledge, but to create the possibilities for a child to invent and discover, to create men who are capable of doing new things. Well, that's what we want from education, real education that can take place in a lot of places, in addition to sitting in a classroom. So we'll talk about that a little bit today. Well, our p- business partner today is Fresh Books. We're right here at the end of the year. I hope you've got your books all in order. I do. I've got my books in order. I know exactly where I stand with the IRS in terms of taxes. I mean, it's a good feeling to go into the end of the year knowing that all those things are in place. And part of that is from having good accounting records during the year. Now, you know, accounting is not one of my favorite things. It's one of my most despised things. But I know it's a necessary part. I don't spend a lot of time on that, but a little bit of time here and there, really a couple hours a month with my bookkeeper is really what it takes for me to stay on top of things there. So, not a great deal of time, but it's so important. I recommend Fresh Books. Fresh Books just makes those things easy to know what's coming in, what's going out. You know, a lot of people I find, especially like people who are doing things on Amazon they get deceived by high gross income. Meaning, wow, we sold $50,000 worth of products last month. That's fantastic. How much do the products cost you? Well, gee, I'm not really sure. Well, we do some calculating and figure out they spent $48,000 buying the merchandise they sold. That's not a real profitable month. You need to know at any given point what's coming in, what's going out. FreshBooks is a way to go. What I love most is the fact that you can send somebody uh, somebody an invoice and boom, immediately they get the invoice and they can pay instantly. I mean, I've had people pay me within five minutes of sending it out because it makes it so easy. So go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days, then enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section that'll get you started they're great people to work with. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash 48 days. Enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Now, we always like to start off with some good news and uh, got this is no exception. You have plenty of good news happening out there. You know, it's easy to to hear the negative news, the hate-filled, disaster-filled news. Golly, just this week one time, I I think I was watching a And and, in watching a football game or something And anyway, news came on right after that. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Do people watch this garbage? I mean, to know, you know, breaking news on the north side of Nashville. Somebody just shot somebody else. Why do I need to know that? Why is that breaking news? Why does that do anything to improve my life? It doesn't. Anyway, we want to have good news. Well, got good news here. Got a note from Jessica Gardner, who lives right here close to where I do in Franklin. She says, Dan, I've been binge listening to you since I discovered your podcast about six months ago. You've added such positivity, hope and needed perspective in my life. A super encouraging thing just happened this week. Thought you might want to share it in an upcoming good news portion of your podcast. And I certainly do. Jessica says, my dear friend, Jen Lyles, worships with the Brentwood Church of Christ Basically, right down the road from me, I can almost see their tall steeple from from where I am here. She texted me the attached picture from last Wednesday night's Bible study. She said she and several other couples at the church got together and bought a struggling single mom, who's also a member there, a brand new SUV. I was like, "Are you kidding me? How amazing and encouraging is that?" Like you always say, it's so powerful when people see a need and decide to collectively do something about it. And I can't wait to see the ripple effect for good that comes of this. Just thought you'd want to share this good news. Well, thanks, Jessica. That is great news. Some people went together and bought a single mom a car. Wow, great news. Great way to give somebody a hand hand up a lift this time of year here. Now, I want to tell you about this font designed specifically for dyslexia. You know, I, I don't know why somebody didn't think about this before, but dyslexic people... Have a hard time seeing letters properly. There's a lot of forward, backward, upside down kind of things that go on. So somebody has designed. This is a Dutch graphic designer, Christian Boer, designed a font specifically. It's called Dyslexie. It's that's D Y S L E X I E, as his graduation project from the Altrich School of Arts. So it's a font that employs a different different slants curves styles that have been shown to help dyslexics to read now i'm not going to go through all the things but there's a the center of gravity is focused on the bottom that keeps them from flipping the letters upside down studies on the fonts efficacy have shown that dyslexics can read up to 84 percent faster makes 70 cent fewer 77 percent fewer reading errors and they would recommend using the font for other dyslexics now it's available you can get a free version of this just to use on your own or you can get one to do use as part of your writing style and whatever for like five bucks i'll put the link in the show notes but if you can spell that word you can find it it's d y s l e x i e font font dot com so if you go there you can see that again i'll put a link in the show notes to that you know that's one of those things you know i heard richard branson uh, being interviewed by chase jarvis this week and richard branson is a severe dyslexic uh didn't do well in school dropped out of school and he actually started a little newspaper of all things for a dyslexic kid to do, but he could farm out what needed to be done in terms of the writing. He just sold the ads and was very successful with it. It really was a, a rant against the Vietnam War is what how he started his little newsletter. But in doing that, I mean, it, it was taking so much of his time. He would run to a pay phone at the school and call major companies to get advertising dollars and he was pretty successful pretty conniving but he was very successful at doing that finally the headmaster at the school says you know you better you know forget that little newspaper thing you're doing you know you need to choose between that and school well that was a pretty easy choice for richard being put in that way so he quit school and continued his newsletter and of course grew that into hundreds of businesses that he has today but he says You know, in talking about his own dyslexia, he says, you know, just this, the word itself is so negative sounding and it's very hard to spell, very hard to say. And for anybody who's struggling, it's the last thing they need is a descriptive term that's even more difficult and more negative. He says, we ought to call it alternative thinking. Well, I agree with that. And again, having a son who struggled with that, yeah, alternative thinking is a better way to capture it than dyslexia. You got something bad, kid. Well, check out the font. I think that's pretty cool when somebody develops something like that. Well, a couple more here. Here's a young guy who traveled a 1,000 miles to meet an 81-year-old lady he met on Words with Friends. Now, this is, this is a cool story. African-American kid, 22-year-old Spencer Salen and 81-year-old Rosalind Roz Gutman have spent the last year developing a friendship built on their rivalry in the crossword puzzle game Words with Friends. Then last week, they came together in person for the first time. Now, you know, words with friends. I mean, Joanne, my wife, does that with our grandkids. It's a cool way you can play with the word game with people ongoing. So Spencer is this 22-year-old rapper from Harlem, uh, not the most likely counterpart for an 81-year-old white lady living in a retirement center, but they became friends. They played over 324 games of this words with friends now because of that he happened to share with his pastor amy butler uh just the story about befriending this 81 year old lady and how they become really close friends as a result of just playing this game together well she wanted to take it farther than that she decided they needed to meet um she bought tickets for them to get on a plane. They, he flew down to Florida. He had never been to Florida before and met the lady he had been playing word games with. Eh, pretty cool story. I uh, love the way those things unfold. Well, if you got a success story or good news that you want to share, just shoot that in to me at askdanat48days.com. be happy to share it here. I'd love to hear those personal stories. we got a lot of things coming out of the uh, 48 Days Eagles community. New success stories I mentioned last week that uh, James Wisley and Jennifer Harshman were putting together a compilation of inspirational stories, devotionals, meditationals from people in the community. We're hoping to get 48 and they surpassed, they thought they could put together a neat little book with 48 and they surpassed 365. So now they're in the process of narrowing down to 365. Well, they'll make it for one day, one for every day of the year. Really cool project. Love those group projects that are coming together there. All right, now I want to switch into the uh questions. I've got a bunch of questions here that I want to get to. I want to start right off with this one that I kind of alluded to in the opening line today. This gentleman, his name is Scott, says, I have a master's degree and I live in a homeless shelter. I have a blog, I've written five screenplays, three stage plays, and a novel. None of this is making me any money. And I'm medically limited to a desk job, and I had done some of this before I even finished my bachelor's degree. The problem is, now, now get this is where he kind of shifts gears. Okay, so we've got that, got a master's degree, living in a homeless shelter. The problem is a one hundred and eight to one application to job interview ratio, which is entirely the fault of others. Now, this was in response to a blog that I put up about how people with degrees end up in homeless shelters, written some time ago, but he keeps commenting on it. And uh, he says, Dan, you're complaining about the victims instead of the perpetrators, implying that you know companies are the perpetrators that cause these people with degrees to live in homeless shelters. Now, if you've been listening to me for any length of time at all, you know, that's a pretty hard premise for me to swallow. I like for people to take responsibility for where they are, to see opportunities that others don't see and to take action on those. So I said, Scott, I'm all ears. Unemployment is at a historic low. Companies are desperate for competent people. Please tell me more. Who are the perpetrators in this scenario? Well, he wrote back, he kind of fell off the conversation, but he, he says the U6 rate has barely changed. Uh, the U6 rate, incidentally, is just another employment statistic that the government puts together that's supposed to include people who are marginally attached to the labor force, plus people who are employed only for economic reasons. I mean, the the, the category is pretty pretty whacked in and of itself. But he's saying that that rate has not changed, even though unemployment is very low. The implication being, yeah, a lot of people are working, but they're working in jobs they don't love. Well, duh. I mean, we know that. That's why I've made a very good living in that space, because there's a whole lot of people. I mean, 81% of Americans say they'd change their jobs if they could or knew how. I mean, wow, what a travesty to have that many people who don't like their jobs. Now, is that the fault of, are there, are there perpetrators in this? Are there companies who are at fault for what is happening? Now, what Scott is saying is, yes, the companies are at fault. They need to be willing to hire these people who have master's degrees like he does and pay them well. Now this is me speaking, but the implication is even if they don't have skills that are valuable to that company, well, that's where it breaks down. Why would a company do that? Companies are not social agencies that are responsible for taking care of people. They're businesses that are providing service or product at a profit and want to continue doing so. And to do that, they have to have people on board who are adding to their mission of being able to provide service and products at a profit. I mean, I want to help a lot of people. I really care about people who are hurting and who want something better, but I can't just give away, give away books, courses, coaching time. No, there has to be a process involved where that's profitable. Well, let me just let me just go a little further on this academic journey that we've got here. I mean, it does grieve me to have so many people out there who have master's degrees who are working eight dollar an hour jobs. I mean, I know attorneys; people have a JD behind their name, not only a bachelor's degree but a lengthy advanced graduate degree as well. They have a, they have a law degree who are working. I mean, I know a guy who's working at Kinko's making $10 an hour who has a law degree because he couldn't find anything. Well, there's a whole lot of factors that go into that, but let's just kind of back out of this for a little bit. Let's, let's say that you're thinking about getting an MBA. So let's assume that it's $60,000 for each of two years. So it's $120,000. Now that really is what we call a sunk cost. I mean, that is just a hard cost. It's going to go away. So you got $120,000 to work with here. What if you took that $120,000 and carefully invested it in yourself rather than getting an MBA? I mean, what if you went to five high level seminars with people who are high achievers rather than sitting in a classroom with a professor who's never had a business in his life? I mean, how sad is that? You know, professors teaching, MBA courses, masters of business administration courses who have never been in a business a day in their life. They've never been responsible for profit and loss. They simply get their salary for being a professor. Now I know I'm generalizing here, but that's okay. That's I'm doing that. But what if you took that hundred and twenty thousand dollars and invested in yourself? What if you took fifty thousand of that and invested in your own business? Or you took a year to travel to twenty different countries? I mean, how would that impact your growing success? Is it really the best use of your time and money to get an MBA? Now, a few years ago, an MBA was a hot degree. It seemed to really imply some level of skill and talent, and companies were looking for that degree. That's not true anymore. I mean, we know that in general, graduate schools in the United States are struggling. I mean, the the 30 schools that were ranked 31 to 50 in the nation reported a 42% decrease in recruiting by companies in 2016. I mean, there's companies that used to show up, you know, just wanting to blindly hire anybody who had an MBA. That's not happening anymore. Here's, Here's what's happened. Wake Forest, University of Iowa, Virginia Tech, are just three of many schools who have recently discontinued their MBA programs. That's from the week, just right in the December 8th, 2017. That's a very up-to-date stat. We have schools that are closing their MBA programs. It's just changed. I mean, it became so commonplace. So many people have that. And companies don't really understand what it means anymore. I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean you can... Go out and sell. Not necessarily. Does it mean mean that you can put together a marketing plan? Not necessarily. Does it mean that you understand branding and what that means and promoting what it is you? Not necessarily. I mean, it just it's so generic that nobody understands what it means and it's lost its impact in the marketplace. It's incidentally the most phony degree in America. There are thousands of resumes out there where people put an MBA on. They're thinking that it'll help them when they don't really have a degree. I mean, it's unfortunate that people lie on their resumes, but certainly it happens a lot. And they think it may give them a little edge. And we know that companies rarely, rarely ever, ever check degrees verification. Well, we got some other questions about that as well. Now, here's the, here's the deal. There was a gentleman named Benjamin Franklin who recognized the challenge with what universities were turning out. He saw universities like Harvard, William and Mary, Yale, Princeton. I mean, these were early academic institutions that existed in the early 13 colonies, but he saw that they were not addressing practical instruction, such as writing, arithmetic, accounting, oratory business skills, And he said, we got to have schools. Now, here's what he said. He said, the new academy should not just train scholars merely to glorify God or to seek learning for its own sake. Instead, what should be cultivated was an inclination joined with an ability to serve mankind, one's country, friends, and family. That, Ben Franklin declared, should indeed be the great aim and end of all learning. Now, this sounds like a current malady we're in 2017 and we're seeing that kids are coming out of school with nothing but a theoretical kind of head full of knowledge and no real practical marketable skills that are attractive to companies wow we ought to do something about this you know when this was written when ben franklin wrote this 1749 1749 is when he wrote that that's a very long time ago. He saw a malady that we're still dealing with and still not having a great addressing. And now we're seeing a surge of uh, the more uh, vocational kind of training coming out. You know, certainly no question about that. Incidentally, what he proposed was the beginning of then what ultimately became University of Pennsylvania, I mean in it was that was started in direct opposition to those fancy schmancy uh yale harvard william and mary schools where he thought people just went and hung out uh took a professional vacation for a few years and didn't come out with practical skills well it's still a challenge isn't it still a challenge well here's an audio question this comes from abby listen to this Hi, Dan. I have two sons. One is 32 and one is 27. Both of them have expressed some dissatisfaction with their jobs at one point or another. What books do you recommend that I can give to them to help them explore their talents and gifts that God has given them and to find the right career that would be a match for them? Thank you so much. Well, Amy, thanks for your question. I've got a two-part response to that. One is, are there books that can help in this process? Absolutely. You know, certainly, I would hope that 48 Days to the Work You Love would be a guide for your sons in that. And if you don't have it, I'd be happy to send you a brand new copy of that. There are other books as well that I recommend. What Color Is Your Parachute by Richard Bowles. The 2018 version is already out. Practical Manual for Job Hunters and Career. I mean, I've always recommended that book, What Colors Your Parachute? Another one by Paul Teger. Do What You Are, Discover the Perfect Career for You through the Secrets of Personality Type. I mean, that's one that I recommend. Martin Yates' book, he's done a lot of books. They usually start with Knock 'em Dead, and he's got the Knock 'em Dead 2017, The Ultimate Job Search Guide. And then there's one by, it's a little lesser known book, Cassandra Gays And it's how to find your purpose and passion Four easy steps to discover a job you want and live the life you love. So those are certainly books that I would recommend. The second part of my response is your sons are young. When, when we're still in our twenties, it's a great time to explore, to experiment. A lot of times the first three or four jobs that we have, the greatest value of those is not in putting us on a career path, but in simply helping us identify what it is we don't want to do. So it's a process of clarification. And I tell people, there's really not what many things you could do that I would consider a mistake career-wise in your twenties and thirties. Do a variety of things, get some experiences, travel, you know, if you want to get another degree, that's fine. But be careful about locking yourself into a career path too early because you get clarity through the journey itself. I mean, that's why, again, I've had the opportunity to work with countless doctors, attorneys, engineers, you know, pastors, people who have, who got very early on, they got an advanced degree and then at 42 years old discovered, Wow. This is not what I want to do, or this is somebody else's dream. You know, this is what my parents wanted me to do, or a teacher who recommended I do this, but it's not really something that fits me at all. So in the process of self-discovery, introspection, and understanding yourself better, we become much clearer about what it is we want to do. I didn't go to school to be an author, coach, and speaker. My gosh, it would have been ludicrous to try to frame it as such. I went to school as part of the continued self-discovery process. So I got a bachelor's degree in psychology. Loved the process. Reading people like William James and Carl Jung. It was a wonderful experience. I wasn't looking to position myself as a counselor or therapist. My gosh, those things are way too slow and boring for me. But the process of studying that was marvelous in helping me get clarification of my own journey so i was out of school for four years then i went back and got my master's degree in clinical psychology again with no thought of that putting me into a particular kind of career but i loved the personal growth and development that happened in that period of time got finished with that i did work as a therapist for three months bored out of my mind quit joanne was mortified and i got a a job with a friend of mine selling used cars. Absolutely loved it. Made more money than ever dreamed of making as a counselor. Well, time went on. Actually, I had my master's degree and again, did entrepreneurial things in all that period of time. And then 18 years later, went back and started my doctoral work. And I did all my doctoral studies in religion and psychology. Again, not it, with any thought of that giving me a piece of paper so somebody would hire me, but simply because I loved the academic environment, I loved the learning process, I loved that focused area of study, and it added to me developing as a person, not just getting a degree so somebody would hire me. Well, I hope that's helpful. A lot happening in the academic arena. My goodness, the changes that are going on are just non-ending, and rightfully so. Again, we don't want an academic environment that's stagnant and the schools that are trying to do things today the way they were doing them 20 years ago are getting left behind. Enrollments are dropping. We've got to figure out new ways to educate and education. Again, I certainly hope the education of my children and grandchildren include things beyond just sitting in a classroom. The experiences of travel this morning got a video from my daughter, Ashley, who travels full time with her family with three little girls and they school them as they go. I mean, you ask those little girls, where do you go to school? They say, everywhere. Who's your teacher? Everyone. Got a video this morning. Here we are. I'm recording this on a Wednesday. Wednesday morning, aren't kids in school? No. Those three little girls are in a canoe. They're down in Key Largo for the winter, and they're out in a canoe early in the morning looking at the starfish, that are underneath them. They're just everywhere. Is that an educational experience? Well, you better believe it. Are they perhaps learning more by doing that than they could get just sitting in a seat somewhere? Yeah, no, I'm not negating that kind of learning and not everybody is able to provide that breadth of educational experiences, but recognize the vast opportunity we have for educational experiences for our kids today. Well, i got more questions on that as well. Here's one. This comes from Steve from Berea, Kentucky it says, Dan, I'm a longtime follower of you and your teachings. And honestly, with your guidance, I was able to quit my salary job and quadruple my income over the past five years. Boy, there's a story there. Steve, I'd love to hear what you did there. Quadruple your income over the past five years. Awesome. Steve continues, we currently homeschool our 12-year-old son, and he attends a weekly co-op where the parents teach classes for a semester, then switch to new topics. This semester, we've been teaching the 12- to 18-year class, Dave Ramsey's uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace for Middle and High School. I asked the council if I could follow up next fall with a class in entrepreneurship for the teens. My question is now: What are some good resources to reach out and teach a younger audience so it keeps them involved, but it's still educational and informative? Boy, that's that's a great sentence right there. I mean, how can we keep our younger audience involved but still have it be informative and educational? Well, there's a whole lot of ways to do that. I mean, take them to Costa Rica for a month. Like some of my grandkids did, recently. Yeah, that'll that'll inform them, keep them involved, and be giving them a rich education. Well, a couple resources for you here, Steve, and and then I'm going to give you a link to where you can go get a whole lot more. Steve Curdy, Steve and Debbie Curdy are friends of mine, clients of mine. Golly, they've been we've been connected for ten years probably. Steve is a PhD very high level. He, he literally is a rocket scientist, but he chose to get out of the academic com- community environment and start his own thing. They run an innovation tech camp for kids. This is an amazing, amazing. I mean, they're, they're doing things like, you know, 3d printing with the kids, introducing them to new technology like that. So it's a four day immersive experience for teens, 12 to 18 years old. I keep watching the ages of my grandkids, you know, waiting to when I can get them in, because I know how rich this experience is. So they have an innovation tech camp 2018. The dates were already up. It's good. It's got locations in North Carolina, uh, Northern California, Southern California, Central Florida, uh, Tennessee, Wisconsin. Now, if you go to TTI, I went Now, shoot, I did that wrong. It's actually TTINVENT, uh, it's, or, or it's dot com. That's the page, but it's TTINVENT.com. And it's the Think Camp, this tech camp for kids, for teenagers that Steve and Debbie Curdy do. So by all means, check that out. And they've got a lot of resources that go along with that. that can help you in what you want to do. There's a book written by a podcast listener. Uh, It's, I think it's Janita, not Juanita, Janita Pavelka. And the book uh, is, and you can find it on Amazon. It's Start Young, the ABCs and 123s of owning a business by the age of six. All right, there's another resource. There's another one. Now we have the 48 lower cost, low cost business ideas, and there's a lot of ideas in there that can be applicable for even a 12 year old. No doubt about it. We also have the resource 10 side businesses you can start today. Now, golly, we've got those. I I know those are all free in the 48 Days Eagles community. I'm not sure where else we have them, but they're free resources that you can get but in that 10 side businesses, you can start today. I have in there some kids who are not yet teenagers and the ideas that they're doing. And that's a resource that'll give you another list of things. Then also about a year ago, Joanna and I did a podcast where the focus was raising creative and entrepreneurial kids. It's one of our most downloaded podcasts. If you just go to 48days.com and search entrepreneurial kids; it'll pop right up. I mean, the the podcasts don't all have dates on them, but just search entrepreneurial kids in the search bar at the bottom of the Forty Eight Days homepage. Just scroll down; you can search anything there. We have, you know, thousands of articles there and resources, and the most effective way to find those quickly, grouped together, is by using the search bar. So, search for entrepreneurial kids, and you're going to find that podcast where we talked about and we gave a lot of examples of kids in the 48 days community, you know, parents are listeners, uh, people like uh, Andy Andrews, son, Austin, the things that he's doing uh, to create income as an entrepreneur at 14 years old. He's now 17 and doing some amazing things now as well. But uh, that podcast is full of resources. One of the things that we see happening now, there's an article in in the Washington post, but, there are there's a growing number of young americans these include you know teenagers millennials who are leaving desk jobs to farm now for only the second time in the last century the number of farmers under 35 years old is increasing according to the u.s department of agriculture's latest census of agriculture 69 percent of these surveyed young farmers had college degrees how cool is that so college degrees again Uh, Did they get a degree in agriculture? Probably not, but they got a degree in something and now they're finding they really want to be connected with the land. They're going back and realizing the value, not only the health and nutrition value, but just the personal experiential value of being connected to the land and doing something with your hands. I mean, this last Saturday, I had Jared, our son, come over with his family and he and I worked right outside my sanctuary window here. There's a new area I had landscaping. I I had it dug down so it wouldn't drain against the side of the building. And in doing so, uh, they took out an enormous pile of rocks. Well, now I'm bringing those rocks back down into the same area, but simply to design a landscaped area where there are rocks that you can sit on. We'll have a little fire pit in the middle. There's a little trail that comes down through. I'm going to have it look like a little dry creek running down through. Well, we moved rocks. We worked really, really hard. Uh, I had my little tractor to help us, but we pulled rocks that are way too big to lift and move, even to lift up, but we pulled them into place. I love doing stuff like that. I mean, there's something about, there's something so cathartic and therapeutic about being connected to the land, about being outside. I mean, with no shoes and socks on. Now, when as we were working, believe me, we had shoes and socks on. But I mean, just there are things you can do outside that are difficult to replicate inside concrete and asphalt environment. You know, I encourage you to do that. But it's thrilling to see that there are kids returning to farming as a vocational choice. Well, I love that. You can check out the article in Washington Post if you want to see that. Hey, Dan, um, please leave out my name, okay? Looking for some guidance for 20 years. I wanted to be an entrepreneur and for 20 years, nothing. I want to be a coach. I want to teach myself and others how to be a man. Six months ago, I left a company that left me and my wife, uh, that me and my wife loved where we had worked for six years to take steps to live my dream. I decided to take a job selling insurance. So I learned to sell. I hate it. I would call it a dog eat dog insurance call center factory. Here's an example. I can talk to someone on the phone, take payment for insurance. Then I send out documents for electronic signature. Anyway, he talks about how boring that is. He's petrified of cold calling new customers, new members, dealing with an antiquated technology that makes work needlessly difficult. So he continues, I can't trust my own thoughts. Am I overreacting? One side of me is saying I'm being soft, toughen up, be a man. Life can be hard. When I become more proactive, making more outbound calls and learning to sell better, I'm sure everything would work out well. Well, the other side of me is saying I need to leave now. Even if I take a part-time entry job while I figure out what to do next for my mental well-being, I have a stay-at-home wife with a five-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old daughter. What should I be thinking about? What should I be focusing on? What should I be doing? I know these are broad questions, but even a point in the right direction would be appreciated. And he says, uh, (laughs) please leave out my name and the company's name, I listen every week. Well, that's fine, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are identified with your uh, dilemma as well. But now here's the deal, for 20 years, I wanted to be an entrepreneur for 20 years, nothing, you say, it reminds me of that little book that was written, Five Frogs on a Log. Now the premise is this, five frogs on a log, four decided to jump off. How many were still sitting on the log? Well, in the little book the answer is 5 because there's a big difference between deciding and doing. I used to tell their our our kids, you know, dad I want, you know, I want a bicycle. I'd tell them there's a big difference between wanting and getting. You figure out that space between wanting and getting. So, you've wanted to be an entrepreneur for 20 years nothing. How how is that possible? I mean that just tells me you've done nothing. I mean, it's not difficult to become an entrepreneur. I mean, you can go to a garage sale and buy some baseball cards and put them up on eBay. You're an entrepreneur. I mean, it's that easy. You can have, go to Walmart and spend $4 for a plastic bucket and a squeegee and hit a street in your town, wash windows and make 50, 60 bucks an hour. I mean, I've had a young lady who did exactly that. She was in a tough spot. Her husband left. That's what we did. That's what she did for four months. Had her kids help her and she made a whole lot more than that. Anyway, I mean, there's not a big bar of entry for being an entrepreneur. So what has been keeping you from at least trying something? Now you're in this mindless, boring, horrendous job that you hate. I mean, that's where you end up if you don't have a clear plan about what you're moving to. I mean, a lot of times, and it sounds like you're one of these, it's easy to identify what you're moving from or what you'd like to move from, but without a clear idea of what you're moving to, you really have no place, no direction to go. You can't just start off you know, with binders on and hope you end up somewhere good. No, without a clear goal, you're going to end up right back in a miserable situation like you are now. So the first thing to do is to sit down and figure out what is it that you want to do? What do you want your life to look like a year from now? What would be the ideal? I mean, struggle with that, but this is not something that needs to take six months. It should take you three hours and you ought to be able to knock this out. I mean, get my goal planning form for 2018. I mean, it's a free resource. Just go to 48days.com slash goals. It'll take you right there. Get that and fill that out. If you really fill that out, you're going to solve this dilemma that you're in because it's going to help you identify what you want your life to look like a year from now. And in doing that, there ought to be multiple things you can walk right out and do. Now, what should you do? I mean, that's too broad a question for me to say you should do this. I don't know your personality. I don't know your skills. I don't know your dreams. I don't know anything about you. So it'd be ludicrous for me to say, this is the kind of idea you ought to pursue. You know, are there things out there? Yeah, you better believe it. You hear me talk about them every week, but uh, there's no connection between my recommendation at this point and you, the person. As I say again and again, 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction in your career comes from looking inward first, comes from looking inward. You got to start there. Well, wow Take a quick break here just to breathe, just to remind you, these are real life questions coming from people just like you and me. Man, I got my own questions. Golly, I've got groups where I ask questions about where am I going? You know, why does this thing that I tried this year not working? You know, I mean, golly, I mean, I love the process of asking questions, but continue to look for clarity looking in the future. Well, if you got a question you'd like for me to include here, be delighted to do that in an upcoming episode of 48 Days Radio. The easiest way is just shoot it in to ask Dan at 48days.com. Okay, here's another. Dan, I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. Okay, goes through a lengthy business here. I've uh, been working on my building, my side business as a professional resume writer ever since losing my job a little over four years ago. Honestly, wish I had found 40 days before that happened, but I found upon reading the book that I basically followed your process to find the job where I'm employed now. All right. Now he goes through, uh, here, Jackson goes through this, um, story, gut wrenching story about having a baby born and, uh, about having a baby born who did not survive just lived 31 days all right they were heartbroken but extremely grateful for the nurses doctors and others in the NICU uh, fast forward he had a healthy full-term son in 2009 followed by a healthy girl in 2011 fast forward to another 2017 April we walked our fourth child of the world another boy he too was born too early Weighed two pounds, 5.5 ounces. Took up residence in the NICU again at the same hospital as their previous son. Felt like we were living the nightmare all over again, but now he's a healthy eight-month-old baby, happy and healthy after a two-month stay in the NICU and just starting to babble out, mama, all right? What they want to do, what this mom and dad want to do is uh, design an Amazon merch shirt that they can put on the 48 Days merch site, which we'd be happy to do, and um, possibly just having a proud parent of a NICU graduate. Wow, that'd be cool. Want to put that together? Yeah, we'd be delighted to see that and help you with that. And they want to use that then to have funds that go back to that children's hospital. Hey, that's the kind of idea that you can certainly do, you know, that you can put something out there uh, help people like that. If you got an idea like that, you know, we got a designer that helps us just put those things up there. Now, we're not talking, you know, typically this is not talking about something that's going to generate hundreds of thousands of dollars, but can it generate money? Sure. I mean, we're generating money with the ideas that people have submitted, ideas that we've got up there. So I'd be delighted to include that. Just shoot me a note again and ask Dan about the idea that you've got. We'll help you with some of the details on that. All right, let me grab one more here. Jerry says, I love your podcast. It provides me hope and inspiration. I'm about three quarters of the way through 48 Days to the Work You Love. I currently live in California. I'm a senior designer in the civil engineering industry. I'm highly paid for someone without a degree. We want to relocate to Texas. I have contacted several engineering companies inquiring about salary, but cannot get anyone to take or return my calls. I've checked various websites for salary comparisons, but having no degree, I don't fit into their checkbox forms. It seems from my research that equivalent pay would be about 85 percent of my current salary how should i approach an interview with potential employees while still working or living in california it'll take a month or more to sell our home and move so i can't start in two weeks all right here the, the key in your question is jerry is this i've contacted several engineering companies inquiring about salary but can't get anyone to take or return my calls i would be amazed blown away astounded if somebody returned your call, after you inquired about salary for a position, you need to stop immediately inquiring about salary. That is not where you want to start. You want to, I mean, go through the rest of 48 days. Apparently you aren't to the part yet. You'd never start there. You cannot negotiate salary, discuss it before they've decided they want you. You're way too early in the process. Don't assume you can't duplicate or increase your current salary. I mean, go to salary.com and research what can be expected, but don't lead with that question. It's always going to work against you. Don't lead with that question at all. So what you want to do is go through the job search process as I lay it out in 48 days, but connect with them, give them reasons why you're so marketable, why you're so valuable to their company. Don't worry about not having a degree. I mean, that, that those days are quickly diminishing where somebody requires a particular degree. Now, if you're in civil engineering, I mean, eh, there's some things in there that are, you know, engineering, there's some specific guidelines in that. But if you're already doing that, I mean, make your presentation based on the value that you've brought to the company that you're with currently. I mean, you can do that, but don't lead with questions about salary. They'll see that as a red flag. You go to the bottom of the barrel. I mean, you won't even be in the barrel. You'll be in the shredder. So go through the regular job search process without any regard to pay until you get interviews. When you get interviews and they decide they want you, you want them. Then you have a great opportunity to discuss. Well, they offer you $85,000 and you can say, gee, I love your company. I'd love to be involved here. I think there's a good match based on my understanding of the responsibilities. I'd see that more in the $110,000 range. Is that still within your budget? You'd be surprised how they can find the budget if they want you, but not until they want you. Well, hey, thanks for being part of this Growing group. gal. if you're one of the 48 Days Eagles, I love what's happening there on our next Monday mentor call. This next Monday, the 11th, I'm going to have Deb and Gina on there. She's going to do, she's going to take us through a crash course in the classic book, Think and Grow Rich. Those are the kind of things that we're doing in there to grow, experience success together. But whatever you're doing, I know that you're one of this group who is in fact finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less. Have a great week.